So I posed a question uh, out on Facebook, and we'll get to it here in a moment. But the, the real question that I couldn't ask at the time is, what is taking up the margins of your life? You know, I don't know if you write much uh, on your computer, but everything has a margin to it. it. It keeps you out of the free space on the edges. And if we're being honest today, we would admit that most of us, if not all of us, have written our life over the margins. We've had this ability or time to kind of free space our lives, but we really don't. We use up every minute of every day as if that's good, as if that makes us a better person that, well, let's just be honest, we've been taught not to be wasteful our whole lives. My mom taught me not to be wasteful. Maybe you heard this, you're going to finish everything on your plate. Don't be wasteful. Because there was always some child in some foreign country that didn't have what you had on your plate, right? So you didn't need to be wasteful. And so I remember as well growing up and, and having a football coach that challenged me. And he'd always say the same thing every time to all of us boys. Is he'd say, you know, if I could just have back my youth, man, I wouldn't waste it like you boys. Wasteful. So we've been told all of our lives not to be wasteful. And so because of that, we've moved our lives into the margins. We've taken up every possible space, every hour and every minute. We make sure that we're not wasteful. And what's happened to us is we are now wasting our lives away. We need some moments, as the poets have told us, to stop and smell the roses. In my life, it's to stop and smell Rosa's burritos because they're delicious. <laughs> Got to take that time. But don't you feel that sometimes? Like you get to the end of your day and you're like, where did the time go? And maybe you're like me, as the older I get, the shorter time gets. And it seems like years breeze by. Like something that happened just the other day is now like memorialized 10 years later and you're going wait a second that happened yesterday our margins are getting shorter and shorter and so our lives get more and more complicated the time we want to spend with our loved ones is getting fewer and fewer the time sitting around the table is lesser and lesser and if we really stop to imagine it our margins have become nothing so that's the reason for the sermon Today and next Sunday, we're going to talk about margins. What's the difference in your life when you start to bring back the margins? What happens if we decide to free ourselves a little bit? What happens if we start to develop these margins back? And what a fitting day to do it on Mother's Day. The people that live with the least margins. I mean, if you're being honest today, if, if you are a mother, you know that it's not just your margins that you take up, it's everybody else's. Um, as a husband, as a dad, I, I realize I take up a lot of April's margins. I don't intend to do it, but it just happens that I'll turn to her and say, hey babe, uh, we planned 18 things this weekend at the church. Um, can you be at nine of them? And my wife being you know, a blessing and a helpmate goes, <laughs> bless your heart which is Christianese for I'm going to kill you. 
But she shows up. I take up her margins. Today, as you came in, normally on Mother's Day, we give out flowers. You know, we'll, we'll hand you a flower and say, Happy Mother's Day. And by the end of service, the, the stem has been broken. Petals are falling everywhere. And they just don't make it even out to the parking lot. But that's not what a mom is. A mom is not a, a one-time flower holder. You see, she's a gardener. She plants margins for others. That's the beauty of a mom. My mom did it for me. Your mom did it for you without knowing. She planted your margins. She told you things like, it's time to go to bed. We tell our kids this all the time, put up your phones. In my day, it was, quit talking, <laughs> go to bed. It was things like, you need to go outside and play. You remember that? Creating margins. It was going on vacation and finding a place that didn't have TV service. That was my thing in the day. I mean, I, I didn't have a phone. Listen, the only people that had pagers in my day were drug dealers. And so uh, um, we, we would go someplace where there wasn't TV service, just so we could create margins. We've lost that ability, haven't we? We plan our whole time away in the margins that we should be creating, and we add the spaces in. I will go, but while I'm there, I want to make sure that, remember that margin over there, free time that we had? we got to fill that. You plan your vacations around it, don't you? Hey, we're going to go someplace. You, you can fill in the blank. And while we're there, here's the times that we're going to be at places. Because we're just not good with our margins. And so, women, today you are given seeds. Do me a favor. Take the time to plant them. Take a deep breath and say, I'm unplugging for a little bit. You'll all have to go away now. And smile as you do it and say, it'll be okay. If something catches fire, call the fire department <laughs> and go plant. It's what you do every day, though. You plant margins. You don't even know if you do it or not, but you plant it or you delete it either way. Even today, you're probably starting to think through the rest of your week. The times that you need to do certain things. Now, this is not a sermon about a lack of preparation, by a long shot, the more we prepare, the more margins we create. But the sheer fact is, most of you, if not all of us, will find a way to fill all of our margins before the week even begins. Not planning time to just... Because <sighs> we need that. You need a moment to breathe. Because if you don't breathe, you start to clench your fists. And when you clench your fist and your kid walks in the room and says, Mom, I've got a project due. You're going to say, when? And when's it due? Tomorrow! <sighs> and you know you've done it. I've done it. We've all done it. Because our margins are written in already. That's why I gave my parents my projects too, by the way. I don't know about you. I've got a huge project due. It's 30% of my grade. When's it due? Oh, tomorrow. When did you find out about it? First of the school year. Um, <laughs> y'all laugh because y'all did it too. Um, today we're going to look at the book of Ruth. Um, if you look in your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Start at the front and get to Ruth. 
Ruth is an interesting book of the Bible. Ruth is interesting because it, it is so pivotal in history. Without Ruth, there is no David. Ruth had to show up on the scenes. We'll get to where that, that comes in the picture here in a minute. But the start of the book of Ruth is terrible. It's like the most um, horrendous start to a movie ever. It starts out by saying that Ruth has a sister-in-law and a mother-in-law, and they all live in the same place together, and all of their husbands are dead. Terrible start to a book. You go, that's awesome. Now what? Well, we hear that, that there's this moment of decisioning made by Naomi, the mother-in-law. We're going to pick up there in the story in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. It says, she, being Naomi and her daughters-in-law, prepared to leave the land of Moab where they were living because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people, uh, people's need by providing them with food. She left the place where she had been living, occupied, uh, accompanied by her two daughter-in-laws, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. And I love this. They're, they're moving ahead. Picture the scene. They're walking together, and the mother-in-law's like, oh, man, I've got these daughters-in-laws with me. Now, I don't know the relationship with her daughter-in-laws. All I know is they're all they've got. I mean, without this group, these women have nothing. So they're, they're banded together. Verse 8 says, She said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. And may the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them, and they all wept loudly. No, they said to her, we will go with you to your own people or to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons. Would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and it says, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law, but Ruth said this, do not persuade me to leave you or go back or not to follow you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, and where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and I. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. This is a pivotal moment in Ruth's story. And it's a pivotal moment for us as we learn from the book of Ruth. One is this, circumstances always challenge our devotion. Circumstances always challenge our devotion. Here's why. When circumstances happen in your life, it is going to push your margins. You're going to say things like, I've got to do blank, or I need to do more of whatever. That's what happens. Circumstances always challenge our devotion. And in this moment, Ruth has this decision to be made. She could go back home. She probably could have found a husband. Here's the problem with it. She is fiercely devoted to her mother-in-law. But circumstances are, are challenging her devotion in this moment. So I, I want to pose this to you. I told you I asked a question on Facebook. And the question was this. Um... What drains you of your most time, emotion, and energy? And what I could have asked is what's taking up your margins? 
but what drains you of the most time, emotion, and energy? And, and here's what the ladies that responded back said. Comparisons, isolationism, child raising, perfectionism, worry, control, fear of failure. And it works like this. I brought this box with me today, and I brought something that's dear to my heart. Golf balls. I started to think about it, that, that this is exactly what margins looks like. Things appear in your life that demand some time from you. And for the ladies that posted on Facebook, they said things like, here's what deletes my margin. I start to compare myself to others. And I get isolated. And um, child raising, <laughs> those things are, things are a part of my life. And so you start to go, okay, 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 okay. All right, I got this, y'all. I got this, I got this. Whew. I made it through another day. But then your job calls. You're like, <laughs> mama's got this, y'all. Mama's got this. Go wash your face. Okay, Ooh. okay, okay, okay. I think I've got this. I think I've, I, okay, another day. <sighs> Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> but then at about 9 o'clock, your kids say, I've got a project to do. And your husband comes home and says, I invited my boss over for dinner next week. Then you start to forget that you're doing online classes. And then you start to think about your future and you're like, I got this. Practice hard, y'all. I don't have this. The ball has exited the building. You can have that. Okay. Um, that's life. Is that we feel like we've got it all under control until something happens. See, Naomi at one point has a husband and two young men who marry two young women, and life is good. But then the margins start to fill up. Husband gone. Son's gone, daughter-in-law's left, and they're in her hands. She has nowhere to go. She has no future to hold on to. All she knows how to do is go back to her own people. And so she sends her daughter-in-laws away. And at the same time, here stands Ruth with the same exact margin problem. What do I do now? You ever asked yourself that question? What do I do now? Maybe you've prayed the prayer, God, what do you want me to do? I mean, you led me here, so now what? I mean, what's the next step? Tell me what to do and I'll do it. I mean, if it's selling everything and moving off, I'll do it. You just tell me. And God goes, sell off your stuff. And he goes, nah. What in God? More margins. And so at this place, and especially if you women that place that on Facebook, I heard your hearts, and I've been there with you. And we all had the same problem. We filled up our lives with so much that we have no margins left. And we find ourselves at a pivotal place where we have to make a decision. What next? So we can keep living our lives and, and playing Christianese. 
I mean, that's really what we call it in America. We play Christianese. We, we do just enough to seem like a moral person, but not live enough like Jesus to follow after him. Because if we follow after Jesus, we're going to have to give up some of our margins. But we just don't want to do that because we want to seem... Let's just you and me talk. We want to seem elite. I mean, if we're being honest... For those of us that grew up in my generation and above, we all wanted to be on the TV show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. We wanted Robin Leach to show up at our house and say, this is the home of Kyle Clayton. That's where we, or if you're below my generation, you wanted to be on Cribs. <laughs> Some people are like, on what? I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's what we wanted. We want to be known. We want our name in lights. We want to be applauded. We want all this accolades. We want people to say you're the best of the best of whatever it is. I mean, every year I get this email in my office. Every year. Your church has been considered the best of its class. All you have to do is pay $100. And we'll send you a book that tells you so. Have you ever been there? You got the same letter in the mail as a high schooler, didn't you? The, the, the sheer fact is this. How we get back our margins as we start to realize, you're probably not. There's probably somebody better at what you do than you. But they can't be you. Only you can be you. But you got to free up your margins. Or you're just going to keep juggling every day and hoping that you make it through. That's the problem with margins. They take your life away. They drain you of your energy. They drain you of emotion. They drain you of your life. So in this moment, Ruth is standing on a road with her mother-in-law, not knowing what's going to happen next. She has no margins left. And her mother-in-law says, go home. Go home. Leave me alone. My life is too bitter for you to share in it. Go home. And in this moment, Ruth responds with devotion. Because devotion is the opposite of ease. Devotion is always the opposite of ease. And Ruth gets this. So they show back up where Naomi's home is. Naomi tells Ruth, listen, you're going to have to go to work. (laughs) I know this sounds crazy, but unless you go work, we're going to die. We're going to starve to death. So here's the plan. There's a family member out there. He's got some land. You should go and see if you can just pick up some grain and then come home and let's eat. So let's pick up in Ruth chapter 2, verse 5. The man's land she goes to, his name is Boaz. Boaz shows up and he says these words. Boaz asks the servant, who's in charge of the harvesters? Whose young woman is this? He, He sees Ruth. Servant answered, she is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather the fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has remained from early morning until now, except she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. filled." She bowed her face to the ground and she said to him, why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. 
how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth, how you came to a people that you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may remain a, a full reward for the Lord of God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You know, I started to think about this, what, what happens in this moment as Ruth shows up, and she's just there to get food for she and her mother-in-law. In shows up the landowner who, who tells her, listen, no one here has to be a slave. Everyone here gets a fair share at the table. So here's your chance. Just walk with my female servants, and when you're thirsty, take a drink of water. I mean, here is Ruth. What we get from that moment is this. All day long, Ruth has rejected every kind of um, thirst that she's had or everything. The only thing that she's done is gathered grain and then stayed in the shelter for a little bit just to kind of get away from the heat. Boaz in this moment says, when you're thirsty, take a drink. When you're around my people, be amongst them. Because I've heard your story. I heard that you're hanging out with Naomi. That you're taking care of her. And that speaks to him. It tells him something about Ruth's character. And that's trickled throughout the city. It's just been shared one after another after another. You see, like us, we want our lives to be put together. We, we just don't want to do the work to do it. And at this moment, Ruth is putting her life together one grain after another. I was reading in a magazine the other day, uh, Forbes magazine, and it said that Gen Xers, uh, the people born between 1961 and 1981, are the most in-debt generation in history. We're the most in-debt in history because we all want what our parents have now. So we go and we pursue everything we can as fast as we can with as little as we can. And we face the consequences of we've deleted our margins. You see, your margins show up in so many ways, don't they? They show up in your time. They show up in your money. They show up in your family. They show up in your work. You'll find yourself uniquely moved by how short your margins have become when you show up and everything's like this. Because people who have wide margins come in with peace. Boaz shows up with wide margins. And he simply says to Ruth, I've heard your story. I've heard about your devotion to your mother-in-law. I'm moved by it. Whatever you need, you let me know. Story doesn't end here. Ruth goes back home and she tells her mother-in-law all that had happened. And Naomi's moved. She remembers then a term that we need to know today. And it's kinsman redeemer. It is someone that would be in the family that in a moment of tragedy, like it would happen for Ruth and Naomi, they would find someone amongst the family that would help produce an offspring in a widow like that to carry on the family name. Because at this point, Naomi had two daughter-in-laws, neither of which have children. So there's no one to carry on the family name. And so she's moved by this. She goes, wait a second. This Boaz guy, he's a part of our family. So here's what you do. You're going to go tonight and you're going to lay at Boaz's feet. When he awakes, you're going to tell him who you are and what you're asking for. And so this is what happens. Ruth goes in, lays at the feet of Boaz. 
As she does so, he wakes up and he says, my dear, why, why are you here? It's interesting why she lays at his feet. She lays at his feet to keep his feet warm. That's what a slave would do. Um, so she lays at his feet, he wakes up, he's like, my feet are warm, this is awesome. Oh, there's a young woman there. And he says, who are you? Because it's dark, he can't figure it out. And she says, I am Ruth. He goes, oh, yeah. And, he, and she just says, listen, I need some help. <laughs> and so he does something amazing. Like, in our minds, we imagine the world of filth that we live in where Boaz would just simply say, you're now my wife, you know, let's, let's be as gross as we can because that's what culture does today. Boaz is a man of, of character. Boaz is a, a man who, uh, who in this moment can show that he is somebody of worth. So he says to her in the morning, we're going to go and I'm going to ask the men who would redeem you. And so he does this. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. After that moment, it says, Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer, uh, soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz called him by name and said, come on over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the land of Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged on our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back uh, in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do so. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and I am next after you. The man said, I want to redeem it. He's thinking the land. He's like, man, I can buy more land. Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on the property. The general replied, I, I can't redeem it myself or I'll ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. What he's saying is this, I've got kids. If I have another kid, then I have to split that inheritance even more. I can't do it. And an earlier period in Israel, verse 7 says, a man removed a sandal and gave it to another party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. It's kind of like a, a side note so that we know what's happening. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy the property yourself. So Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today. I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. And I also acquire Ruth the Moabites, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on this property, so that his name will not be in despair among his relatives. Or from the gate of his home, you are witnesses today. Listen, this moment is an epic moment in history. Because of Ruth's faithfulness to her mother-in-law, who stuck with her, because she was willing to go do the hard work and pick up grain, because she was willing to share with her mother-in-law all that she had seen and heard, because she followed her word. Today, at this moment, as the men had gathered, she was redeemed amongst the people. Because devotion, this is in your notes, devotions, uh, devotion opens opportunity for God-sized experiences. That's what devotion does. Devotion opens opportunity for God-sized experiences. This shouldn't have happened for numerous reasons. One, Ruth is not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. 
I mean, that alone should make us go, oh, this is an interesting story. Because we want to delete that out because the men of Israel should have married what? Israelites, that's what their laws had required them to do. It's what Moses warned them to do. It's what Joshua warns them to do. And in this moment, an Israelite man is going to redeem a Moabite woman who was previously married to an Israelite man and his family. Now, I don't know what caused the death of her husband. But certainly you can know from the text, if anything, we know what's about to redeem her. I really think it all comes back to a statement that's at the very first of the book of Ruth. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. I think if that statement, this whole story changed forever. Because at that moment, Ruth focused on one God, Naomi's. And God opened up an opportunity she had never seen before. You know, I wish I could tell you that the rest of the story is written down. It's really not. We get the end of her life, but not kind of the next few years or how long she kind of was around to see certain things happen. But here's what we do know. Devotion pushes beyond our margin for the easy outs. Devotion pushes beyond our margin for the easy outs. She could have gone home. She could have given up. She could have said it's what everybody else does. It's what my neighbor does. It's what my kids' parents do. It's what my neighbors do. It's what Amarillo does. It's what Texas does. It's what America does. It's what the world does. I mean, you can fill in the blanks here. The easy outs are easy outs because it's not what everybody else does. But Ruth didn't do what everybody else did. And God produced something in her life that no one else got to experience. Who knows what happened to her sister-in-law? All we know is this. She didn't have a book of the Bible named after her. And she didn't get the blessing of knowing what would happen next. You know, in our Bible, we get kind of a, a period mark. First, the men of the city pour blessing upon Boaz. They say, man, may Ruth be like the women like Rachel and Leah who birthed the nation. But verse 13 says that Boaz took Ruth to be his wife and they had some children. It says they had a son to begin with. Verse 17, a son was, has been born to Naomi, and they call him Obed. This is an amazing story. Because we get a genealogy at the end of Ruth. It says, now it's the genealogy of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron, Ram, who fathered Abinadab. And Abinadab, uh, Nashon, and fathered Salomon. And Salomon fathered Boaz, who fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse, who fathered David. Without a Ruth, there is no David. God put Ruth at the right place, at the right time, so that she would be the great-grandmother of David, who changed the history of the world. Let me just ask you a question. If at the end of your life you could be at your funeral celebrated for all the accomplishments you've done. I'm talking people stood at your funeral and they said things like, this person was the most wealthy person on all the planet. The next person got up. This person had more homes and cars and jet skis and boats 
and houses abroad than anyone else on the planet. And the next person got up and said, they were the most famous person ever. They had their face on more magazines than anyone else. And the next person, they had the highest ratings on TV than any actor ever. The next person, they won more Oscars than anyone had ever won. The next person, they won a thousand Nobel Peace Prizes. That would be a lot. Would you want that over on the other side of heaven that when you approach God the Father, he goes, that's how it's done. I'm telling you what, good night, I wish everybody acted like you. It's all about your margins. And it's all about what you invest and plant in those around you. April and I are approached all the time by people that say, hey, your kid needs to play on this team, or your kid needs to sign up for that, and I mean, y'all are there with me. I mean, our kids fill our margins. And you know what? A long time ago, April and I made a decision that while we want our kids to have opportunities, and we let them have opportunities, they're not going to fill every bit of our margins. Um, It was a hard decision. It's probably cost us a lot of really close friendships. Uh, we still love the people, but we're not as close as we used to be. Because uh, their kids fill all of their margins. Man, when they get out of school, they go right to practice and right from practice to this next practice and from that practice to the next one. And we just decided that's not going to be us. We love our children, but we want to show them that instead of standing on the other side of a fence from them. And uh, listen, it created some margins, created some conversations that we didn't even know that we could have. In our married life, there's always opportunities to be busy. Goodness knows between my wife's job and my job, we have plenty of opportunities to be busy. But we decided a long time ago that that's a margin we weren't going to give away. So there's some times that things happen even here at the church that I'm not at. Simply because I haven't seen my wife in a while. And she matters more to me than y'all. And I love y'all. But I, I hope I grow old with y'all here. But I've only got one of her. And so I want to grow old with her. And y'all don't always like me. I've got to fight for her to like me. You know what I'm saying? Um, you got to fight for margins. In your personal time, you got to fight for margins. I, I kind of feel like maybe Ruth has taught us a valuable lesson in the fact that the margin of devotion frees up so much for God to do in our lives. I'm grateful for her testimony about what God did in her world because it showed us that the whole time what Ruth didn't know is she was planting margins in Naomi's life. And what a blessing to know that Naomi had a great, great grandson who would be king of Israel. What a blessing. So let me ask you a question today. Do you feel like You just keep juggling every day, hoping that the day ends? Do you feel like every day you're just worn out by the end of the day because you filled it full of just randomness and time killers? Or can we get back to a place where we remember, God created you for more than that. Not to fill up your margins, but to empty them so that you have time with Him. Last question. If life was a check registry, how much money are you putting into God 
And how much money are you putting into your hobby or to TV or to anything? And I'm not talking monetary. I'm just talking time. Because man's life is but a breath. Here one second, gone the next. Ruth is long gone. Her life ended at the end of the, of the book of Ruth. She's gone. We don't know the length of her days, how old she really got. But we do know this, that in the moment she had, she didn't feel it to the extremes. She created margins in others. You know what I think about all the time? Because of Ruth, Boaz is in the Bible. He got to be the great-grandfather of David. Boaz could have had other kids. It's a good chance he did. But he also had David. Go create margins. Go let God do something in your life because you freed up some space. Help your kids to do it. Help your spouse to do it. Help your friends to do it. Help your coworkers. Margins are big. I want to give you two tasks to end the service. Number one, out in the foyer, up on this wall, right out here is margins written on the wall. And then sticky notes on a table. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask that you put a prayer on that of something that you know is taking up a lot of time in your margins that you're asking God to help you with. I'm just going to ask you to put it all around, just like you saw in the video to start the sermon. But before you do that, I want you to bring it to the altar. You don't have to go get a sticky note, but just come and pray. At the end of service, go do that. I just want you to know something. That Jesus helps you free margins. It may seem insignificant because you're looking around and saying, but look at all the Christians you just talked to that their margins are filled. Well, it's because we're bad Christians. That's why we have church, because none of us has this thing together. And I, I can guarantee if you came to find a church where there's perfect Christians, they all died and went to heaven. God perfects them on that side. He doesn't perfect them this side. He, he works on us. He tries to perfect us. But we're stubborn. So we keep coming to church hoping that God would keep changing us. Come change with us. It starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. We believe everything starts with Jesus. So today, if you don't know him as your Savior and Lord, today's a good day to ask the question, how? How? How can I know him? Well, us three guys will be down here in just a minute. We'd love to answer that question for you. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. You're going to see a bunch of people because we as Christians, we need to delete our margins. They're going to be coming down here and kneeling at the front. You can come join them. Just come kneel and pray and say, God, this is something on my heart as, as Kyle was preaching that I know is taking up a lot of my margins. And help me with this, God. And you're going to come and pray with them. And I hope you will. Let's start to delete out some of the margin stuff. Let's let God do something amazing today. Are you ready to pray? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we know that Ruth showed us a more excellent way, God, that when we focus in on you and we let devotion fill the margin, God, that you can do amazing things. God, thank you for her life, Lord, for her testimony of what it looks like to be a person passionate after your heart, God. Lord, you show what it looks like to be a person of devotion. God, we pray this morning that you'd show us, Lord, how we can follow after you. God, we want to be devoted. God, we want to clear up our margins and have that extra time, that extra effort, that extra emotion. 
Because, God, there's so much going on around us. So, Father, speak over us. Lord, speak through us today. God, clear our margins. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.